So my wife and I, we have four kids at home that we absolutely love. We think they're amazing. Our oldest this week uh, just turned 15. He had his birthday. If you can believe it, I have a 15-year-old. I know, and before you look at me and judge me and go, holy cow, did you have him when you were five? Um, no, we didn't. I, I, we, I was six. So... No, but I can't believe how quickly my kids are growing. I absolutely love my children, much like you probably do yours. Like, if anybody were to hurt my kids, uh, they would probably be looking into a world of hurt for themselves as well, right? You guys get this. I love my kids uh, to death. They are, they are my world. But I also have to tell you something, to be honest for just a moment. They also drive me nuts. Like, they, they drive me nuts sometimes, right? For example... We have this thing that we do with our kids, you've probably done it with yours, where uh, we will ask them to go upstairs and clean their rooms. We'll be like, go upstairs and clean your room. And they'll disappear for all of, I don't know, five minutes and come back and go, my room is clean. And we'll be like, really? Your room is clean. If we were to follow you upstairs to your room and look at it right now, you're telling me that it would look clean. And, they, and they'll say, yep. And we would say, even if you were to get uh, if you were to get grounded, if we get up there and find out otherwise, and they'll be like, yep. And so we'll follow them upstairs, and sure enough, their rooms will have the appearance of being clean. But what's, what's actually the case? We all know what they've actually done. They've taken their clothes, they've taken their toys, they've taken their other things, they've shoved them under the bed, they've shoved them into the closet, shoved those doors closed as best they can, and, then, and now they've, they've figured out a way to get around what we asked them to do and technically do it, right? You see, nobody had to teach us. We all figured this out from the very beginning. Nobody had to teach us how to look out for. Nobody had to teach us how to take advantage of these things that we call loopholes, right? Loopholes are ways that we get around the rules that technically don't break the rules. And, and from the very beginning, even before we even knew the term loophole, we were looking for and we were manipulating them long before we even knew what they were, right? There's a, there was a class that was given the assignment of completing a cover letter and resume this, this like high school class was given the assignment of, of doing this for the Marvel character of their choosing. Now, one crafty, clever student decided to do the character of Groot. So as you can imagine, this is their, this is their project. And they got really creative. Uh, address, I am Groot. Email, I am Groot. Phone number, I am Groot. Objective, I am Groot. You, if you don't know, the Marvel character Groot only says one thing. And it means a whole bunch of things. And this person was so genius, they figured out how to get around the rules without technically breaking the rules. So early on in our lives, we figure out how to do this. We figure out how to get around these things. Now, when religious people that we know create loopholes inside of their own religion, we have a term for that. You know this term. I know this term. That term is hypocrites. We call them hypocrites. Now, when Jesus was here and Jesus was around religious people that created rules and laws and, and, and loopholes around things, uh, he had a different term for them uh, when they did this for their own benefit. He called them whitewashed tombs. So he's saying, listen, you look great and you look clean on the outside, but on the inside, there's something that is dead. There's something that is rotten on the inside. And Jesus would also call them, uh, when he was around, he would call them fools. Why? Because they were so foolish that they thought that God was so small that they could get away with what they were doing. Now, here's the good news if you're here with us today and you don't particularly like religious hypocrites. The good news is this. You are in good company because you have something in common with Jesus. He didn't particularly like them 
either. So we've been in this series for the last four weeks. This is part four of You're Not Far. And this story that we've been going through, we said from the very beginning, is a story that should have died in Rome, in Nero's Rome, because he was trying to wipe out Christianity. And the story, the story that we're going through is the story of Jesus of Nazareth, as it was told by Simon Peter, who we know as Peter. And Peter shared this story. It was dictated to and it was edited by his friend, John Mark. Now, Peter had been going around for many, many years, for over 30 years after his experiences with Jesus, and he was sharing, people, sharing with people his experience, the stories that he had heard. And can you imagine what it would have been like at that time to be able to sit in a room with Peter or sit at Peter's feet and just hear him talk about the, the miracles of Jesus and the teachings of Jesus? It would have just been absolutely incredible to be able to do that. But now, Peter's later on in his life. He's in prison in Rome. He doesn't know it at the time, but he's not going to make it out of Rome alive. And so his, his friend John Mark is there with him. And Mark's like, hey, Peter, give me this story one more time so we can write this down so that people can hear it. And then as it was written down, it eventually becomes what we know now as the gospel of Mark. And that document, the Gospel of Mark, was copied, it was distributed around the area so that people could hear these stories of Jesus and uh, from the eyewitnesses of, of people that were there. And eventually it was collected together with a whole bunch of other writings, the other Gospels, the writings of Paul, several other in the fourth century. And when it was gathered together, it was collectively called the Bible. But I don't want you to hear today as we go through this, I don't want you to hear us going through the Bible because Mark wasn't writing the Bible. Mark was not intending to write scripture. Mark was just intending to document Peter's experience with Jesus. And Peter's experience with Jesus was this. From the very beginning, as we started this series, we learned that, that Peter said that everywhere Jesus went, everything that Jesus did, everybody he interacted with, his message was very simple. And that message was this. The time has come, meaning the wait is over. The kingdom of God has come near. You are not far because the king himself is in town. God's son is here in town. So repent and believe the good news. Now, typically we look at this word repent. We hear this word repent. And we think of it as a negative thing. It has a negative connotation in our lives. But Peter was saying, no, 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 this isn't a negative thing. This is a positive thing. He's saying something absolutely amazing has happened. Something big has happened. And I wouldn't want you to miss it. And Jesus wouldn't want you to miss it. And we don't want you to miss it. He's saying something amazing has happened. It's a positive thing. And so when we were here last week, we learned that Jesus did not get angry with people when, when he didn't get his way, but Jesus would get angry with people when religion got in the way. He would get angry with people when they would use his father's words and manipulate them and twist them to use them against people that his father created and that his father loved. For example, one of the things we looked at last week was that Jesus said, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And I know we read this and we're like, yeah, like whatever, like that doesn't mean a whole lot to me. What's the point? And Jesus' point, what he was trying to imply here uh, is that the implications are huge, that God loves people more than God loves his rules. And he gives us his laws, he gives us his commands, his rules, not to control our lives, but they're there for our benefit because he loves us. And in order to illustrate this, Jesus actually healed a guy that we learned about last week on the Sabbath. And that would have been viewed at the time as a violation of the tradition of the elders and the way that they perceived one of the Ten Commandments. We're going to talk about that a little bit more today. It would have been a violation of what they considered to be the law. And so this made the religious people of, of Jesus' time very angry. But Jesus is too busy. He has too much going on at the time. He, he's too busy healing people, uh, uh, teaching people. He's too busy to care what the religious people think, even though they're angry with him. In fact, at one point, Peter shared with Mark that we didn't even have time to eat. Things were so crazy busy for us. 
And in the midst of this chaos, we found where we left off last week that Jesus' family, his own family has showed up, his mother and his brothers. And they have said uh, something that we find to be incredible. But like Jesus was, was teaching such crazy things to them at the time that his own family said about him that he is out of his mind. But here's the thing, the religious people, the religious leaders that he had made angry, they said something even worse. They said, he's not out of his mind. He's possessed. He's possessed by the devil. That's what they believed. But despite what they believed, despite the fact that the religious leaders were not happy with Jesus, the crowds around him continued to grow and things continued to get more and more busy for him and he found himself in a position where he needed to get a break from people. And so it says that him and his disciples, they got in a boat and they decided to cross the Sea of Galilee. But in doing so, they still could not get a break from people. It says as soon as they got out of the boat, people recognized Jesus, so he couldn't get a break. It says they ran throughout that whole region and carried the sick on mats to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he went, into villages, towns, or countryside, they placed the sick in the marketplaces. So this is crazy. Jesus has all these people around him that, that this big buzz has come around. That they're all very interested in what he's doing. And at this point, they've started to try and anticipate where Jesus is going to be. They're trying to figure out where he's going. And they would find a loved one, a friend, a family member, somebody that needed a healing of some sort. And they would place these people along the roads that they thought Jesus was going to be going down. And they would wait for him to go down those roads, just hoping that Jesus would stop long enough to heal somebody that they loved. And I'm sure as you can imagine, as, as Jesus and his disciples are doing this, they, they've got to be exhausted. There are so many things happening. And I'm sure Peter was feeling in that moment that like, as exhausted as I am, what is happening is so incredible that it's like this good exhaustion. We've all experienced that, right? Where like we've done something for somebody and it's just uh, absolutely exhausting when we, we, our head hits the pillow at night, but we found that it's a good feeling, it's a fulfilling feeling. And they, they had to have this feeling in that moment, I'm sure. But as the crowds have gathered around Jesus, suddenly Peter recalls that he remembers seeing uh, new faces in the crowd. And these faces weren't so friendly. They were actually hostile faces in the crowd. It says that the Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law who had come from Jerusalem, they gathered around Jesus. Now, when we left off last week, Jesus was up here in this area called Capernaum, which is around the Sea of Galilee. And down here in Jerusalem, this is where the temple would have been for the Jewish people, the temple as well as the primary leaders of the Jewish faith. They're hanging out down here. Now, they've heard about this new rabbi that's up here, this new teaching, uh, this new stirring of trouble that's happening up here. And they're like, we need to send a delegation of our guys up there to figure out what's going on. We need to try and get close to Jesus. We need to figure out if this guy is a threat to us, if he's a rival, if he's a friend what is this guy? Is this something that we should be concerned about? So they send a group up. It would have taken about a week or so for them to get there. And as they start mingling into the crowd and start getting close to Jesus, before they've actually even interacted with him, they saw something that bothered them. It says that they saw some of his disciples eating food with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. Now, Mark would have been writing this uh, document, and he would have known that there were going to be Gentiles that were going to read it. Gentiles are people who are not Jewish, and, and they wouldn't know exactly what this meant. So he decides to fill in some of the blanks. He says, you see, the Pharisees and all the Jews, they don't eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial, like a special kind of washing, holding to the tradition of the elders. And we're going to stop right there on that phrase and take just a pause for just a moment, because this is really, really important with where we're going today. You see, at that time, there was a thought, there, it really was a myth, 
that when God gave Moses the Ten Commandments and the law that they knew as the Torah, the written Torah, that in addition to that, God also gave Moses a whole bunch of other laws that they called, they would have considered the oral Torah, that the, these laws that were verbally passed down, not only uh, to Moses, but, and they weren't actually written down, but they were just passed down from generation to generation. And it would have been hundreds of extra laws that were intended to help them keep from breaking the initial primary laws. And the religious leaders at that time, they would have been responsible for overseeing not only the written Torah, but they would have also been responsible for overseeing the oral Torah as well and making sure that everybody observed those laws. But the problem is that this thing had grown so big and so out of control that by the time Jesus was there, that the religious leaders couldn't even agree on what was actually in the oral Torah. And, and the reason, a big part of the reason they couldn't agree on it was because there's no actual written evidence that this ever actually existed. And Jesus had a problem with this because he felt like this made God look small, it made God look petty. Imagine a God that is so interested in the tiniest little details of every single thing that we do that if we don't do them exact, that he would be upset with us or angry with us. And so Jesus wasn't impressed with that. But it says that the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they asked Jesus, hey Jesus, why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders, there it is again, instead of eating their food with defiled hands? So what they've done now at this point, they've taken this oral law, this not written down law, this thing that, that they made up, and they've equated it, they've put it on level ground with something that was written, something that was in the written Torah for them. So before they've even actually had a conversation with Jesus, they're already accusing his disciples of doing something that they believed to be right. And Jesus wasn't gonna have any of it. He says to them, he replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. You see, they've, they've quoted this made-up Torah. They've quoted this, this verbally passed-down thing, and Jesus goes straight to something that was written down. He goes straight to something that would have been important to them. Isaiah would have been a big deal to these guys, and he goes straight to that written thing while they're quoting something that was made up. He says, Isaiah was right about you when he prophesied about you hypocrites. As it is written. So this is an insult to them. He's about to insult them because what he's doing is he is quoting their own scriptures. He's quoting the Bible to them. He says, as it is written, these people, they honor me with their lips. These people can say all the right things. And how often have we found that religious people, they can say all the right things that make them look good. They honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their hearts are far from me. You see, Jesus said, the time has come, the kingdom is near, but your hearts are far from me. Your hearts are so far from me, you can't even recognize the fact that the king is here. Your hearts are not prepared for God. Your hearts are not prepared for the kingdom, despite the fact that it is close to you. And he goes on, they worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules, human rules indicating that Jesus did not buy into this oral myth, this oral Torah myth. He was not uh, buying that one bit. He says, listen, you guys have created these rules. You guys have created this game that only you can win. And I have found, and maybe you have found, that religious leaders can be so good at creating games that only they can win, can't we? We can so often be guilty of that. We have the ability, maybe some of you in this room, myself included, to have a fair and decent knowledge of the Bible. We can create these games, we can create these rules and, and these, this way of life that only we can win. We can be so guilty of that. Jesus said, listen, you have let go of the commands of God and you're holding on to human traditions. You've let go of the things that God actually said and you've decided to hold on to the things that you made up. 
And he continued, you have such a fine way. At this point, he's he's giving them like a backhanded compliment. Well, around here we call them chocolate-covered turds around LifeHouse. Uh, He's giving them chocolate-covered turds. He's like, hey, you guys have such a fine way. And I'm sure they're going, we have a fine way of what, Jesus? You have such a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own tradition. You have such a fine way of creating things that serve yourself. And so he decides to give them an an illustration. He decides to give them an example of a way that they have made up a tradition, made up something in order to bypass, in order to have a loophole around what was actually written in their law. And so he begins to quote their written Torah to them. He says, listen, for Moses actually said, and and Moses would have been huge to them. This This is like their guy. This is the guy that they're following. For Moses actually said, honor your father and your mother. We know this one. We know this one. It's the fifth of the Ten Commandments. But Jesus doesn't just stop there. Jesus goes on and includes the punishment that goes along with it, the punishment that we find in a different part of Exodus, Exodus 21, 17. He says, he actually says, honor your father and mother, and anyone who curses their father or mother is to be put to death. So this is not a minor thing. Jesus is saying, listen, this is not a little thing. According to the law, you're to be put to death. You see, when Jesus, anytime he would talk about the written law, and he would talk about it often, he he would never detach the punishment from the law itself. He would never detach the punishment from the rule. But Christians today, we like to do this all the time. We like to go back into the Old Testament uh, law, the Old Testament covenant. We like to pick and choose different things that we think we should have to follow, that other people should have to follow. Sometimes we don't even put those restrictions on ourselves, and sometimes we do. But what do we never do when we grab that little thing that we like in the Old Testament law? We never bring with it the punishment. And Jesus is saying, listen, you guys want that Old Testament law? You guys want that Old Testament covenant? That's fine. You can have it. He even goes on later to talk about that even more. You can have that. That's fine. But listen, if you're going to have that, you've got to attach the consequences and the punishment to go along with it. And by the way, just a little side note, that punishment that typically went along with all those little laws is that right there. So Jesus is saying, listen, this is not a little thing for you guys just to hold on to these, the, the things that you pick and choose and even the things that you made up. It's not a little thing. And while we're here, I just want to take just a moment, because this is important for where we're going right now. I want to take just a moment just to remind us, and maybe this is the first time you've heard this. Listen, Christians, we don't honor our fathers and mothers because Moses told us to. We don't honor our fathers and mothers in our lives because Moses told us to, because it's found in the Ten Commandments. That's not why we do it. And Peter would have been sitting there with Jesus, and he would have been interacting with Jesus, and he would have known, like as he was sharing his story later in life, he would have known where all of this was heading. But in that moment, they didn't know where it was heading. But as Peter's telling this story to Mark, I'm sure he could have recalled something else that Jesus said when Jesus was around later on. Jesus would tell them, listen, all authority on heaven, in heaven and on earth, all authority has been given to me. All of it belongs to me. So I'm the guy that you look to, not Moses. I'm the one that you look to for direction in your life, not Moses. So we don't follow or we don't honor our fathers and mothers because Moses told us to. Christians honor their fathers and mothers because Jesus instructed us to love one another the way he loved us. And your father and your mother are included in your one another's. And your siblings and your family members and your friends and everybody that you interact with are included in the one another's. So going back, he said, for Moses actually said, honor your father and mother and anyone who curses their father or mother is to be put to death. But you say, he says, listen, this is the thing that was written. This is the thing that was clear. This is the thing that was actually handed down clearly from generation to generation. But you say, you say that if anyone 
declares that what might have been used to help their father or mother is Corbin, that is, devoted to God, then you no longer let them do anything for their father or their mother. Now, I realize that this can be a little bit confusing. It was even a little bit confusing for me as I was reading it this week. What does that mean, Jesus? What are you trying to say? And what's interesting in this section is that Mark does not actually explain what that means. He doesn't actually tell us. He would assume at that, at that moment when, he, when this document was written that this was so culturally understood that people just knew what he was talking about. But here's what it means. This is what Jesus is talking about in this moment. Back then, just, like, just still like it is today, Taking care of an aging parent, caring for an aging parent would have been difficult. It would have been time consuming. It would have been expensive. And so these, these religious leaders, they had created a loophole. They had created a workaround to get around it. And they would say that, listen, you can take your wealth and you can dedicate your wealth. Everything that you uh, currently own, as well as everything that you are currently making, everything that you're going to make, you can take all of it and you can dedicate it to the temple. You can dedicate it to God. Now, while you're still alive, you can still use that stuff to live on, but it technically belongs to God. And so if somebody in your life would come along that needed some sort of uh, a financial help of some sort, whether that was a father or a mother or a, a friend or somebody that needed your help, you could say to them, listen, I would love to help you with that. But the problem is, it's not actually mine to give. It actually all belongs to God. So you'd say, you, you no longer let them do anything for their father and mother. You, you figured out a loophole. Now, before we judge them, before we judge these people, I want to take just a moment and, and make this personal for just a moment. Let me ask you this, and I'm guilty of this too. Have you ever sinned against somebody? Have you ever, uh, and if sin is a tough word for us, um, have you ever hurt somebody? Have you ever harmed somebody? Have you ever done something to somebody, whether intentionally or unintentionally, that hurt them? And through some sort of tradition that you have in your life, through some sort of thing like uh, going to confession or going to church or uh, saying a confessional prayer, asking God through, uh, for forgiveness, through some sort of tradition that you have, have you tried to make things right with God? thinking and believing, hey, listen, God forgives and God forgets, and because God has forgiven me and because God has for forgotten this thing, then I no longer have to go and make things right with people. If you have done this, then Jesus would say to you what he said to the Pharisees in that moment. He's, he's saying, in doing that, you nullify the word of God by your tradition. He's saying, even today, even us today, we can take our traditions, we can take our man-made things, our, our things that we think make us right with God, and we can create something that contradicts the, the clear and direct teaching of Jesus. And one of the things that he would teach us over and over again, and uh, things that we would read in other parts of, of the New Testament from different writers, we would read that if we are not right with somebody that we can see, if we're not right with somebody that we can see, then how in the world can we think that we are right? We are in right standing with a God that we cannot see. Like going back to what I said at the beginning of service, if you hurt my kids or if somebody hurt your kids, you wouldn't expect them to come to you and act like everything is right between you when they haven't made things right between you, uh, between them and your kids. You would want them to do that first. And so Jesus is saying, listen, don't elevate your man-made traditions. Don't elevate your man-made things above what I've taught. And what I've taught you is this, that the way that you love and the way that you treat other people is a direct reflection of the way that you love God. So he's saying, listen, you nullify the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down, and you do many things like that. He's saying, listen, guys, I could sit out here all day long and, and tell you things on and on and on. I could go on and on about all the different many things that you do that you think make you look good, all the different things 
that you say that you think make you look good. And in that moment, the disciples probably would have been completely shocked at what Jesus was saying. They would have been like, whoa, 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 Jesus, this is offensive. Like, do you realize that you are offending these guys? And this wasn't, I want to share something that wasn't originally as part of my content that I wanted to share with you today, but it's something that I've been thinking about this week because this was eye-opening for me years ago when I realized, when it really kind of finally dawned on me, and maybe you've known this all along, but this was a learning thing for me years ago. Do you realize that these disciples, these guys that were following Jesus, they had been taught, they had been raised, they believed that what, what they were doing, they were following the, the Messiah. They believed Jesus was the Messiah, but they had been taught that the Messiah was going to come and that he was going to, to have some sort of uh, uh, maybe a political victory, even maybe a, a military victory of some sort that was going to allow him to ultimately rule the world. So they thought they were following the guy. They thought they were the right-hand men that were going to, to rule alongside the guy that was ruling the world. That's what they thought. They had no idea at the time when they were following him, they had no idea that Jesus was, going, was coming to win a spiritual victory, that he was coming to, to give up his life for us, for our sin, right? They didn't know that at the time. And they're thinking in that moment, listen, Jesus, we're making our way to Jerusalem. That's where we're heading. And you're going to declare yourself Messiah. And we're going to, we're going to rule the world together because they didn't know what was really coming. But Jesus would, would eventually start sharing with them what was coming, but they didn't understand it at the time. Later on, when he was alone with his followers, he would begin to teach them that the son of man must suffer many things and he's gonna be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the teachers of the law. And I'm sure in that moment, Peter and the guys are like, uh, duh, uh, duh, they're gonna, they're gonna reject you. I mean, think about it, Jesus. Every single time these guys come to talk to you, every single time they come to interact with you, you embarrass them. And you don't just embarrass them, but you do it in front of everybody. And we're gonna need these friends. We're gonna need these guys when we make it to Jerusalem. We're gonna need them to have our backs. But what they didn't understand and what the religious leaders didn't understand was that this entire system, their entire religious system, it's really neat if you take some time sometime just to dive in and understand how, how the, the Jewish uh, religious system was actually designed, even the temple itself was designed to point to Jesus coming. It's really neat to see all the imagery there that was pointing to Jesus coming, but they, they did not expect it. They were unexpected, uh, this unexpected kingdom had come that they were expected to embrace, but they weren't prepared to embrace it. And the reason they weren't prepared to embrace it was because the religious people that were supposed to be preparing their hearts for this thing, they had created such a mess that they couldn't even recognize that the king was there. They couldn't even recognize that the time had come. They couldn't recognize that the kingdom of God had come near. They didn't know that they needed to repent and believe this good news. And right there is where we're going to pick things up next week. But before we head out today, I want to just talk about us for just a moment. I want to spend some time uh, talking about how this pertains to us today. This is going to be a little bit uncomfortable, to be honest. It's been uncomfortable for me, too, as I've, I've been thinking about it this week. But maybe today, my hope for you today is that as we're together, that this might be the moment that we finally understand, if we haven't already, we finally understand what it is that Jesus came to do, this thing that Jesus was teaching us. And so be honest today with yourself. Be honest. You, you can be honest because it's just between, it's an internal conversation between you and God today. Just be honest with yourself right now in this moment. Is it possible, and I'm going to ask this in, in the words of Jesus himself that we've just looked at, is it possible that you have let go of the commands of God and that you are holding on to human traditions? Is it possible that you've done this? And maybe it's not completely your fault. Maybe you have been taught something different. Maybe you have learned something different. Maybe even as you've gone through the Bible yourself, you, you feel like uh, you, you've learned something that might contradict this. It might be possible that it's not completely your fault, but you've let go of the commands of God and are holding on to human traditions. 
Is it possible today that you have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions? Is that possible that you have created your own loopholes in life to get around the teachings of God? Is it possible that you have created your own fine print, so to speak? And if it is, I want to ask some questions today. I'm going to ask four questions to conclude our time together. And these are uncomfortable questions. These are difficult questions. And to be honest, I myself, I've been wrestling with these questions myself as I've been preparing for this morning. The first question is this. Do you ever try to figure out how close you can get to sin without actually sinning? Do you ever try to figure out how close you can toe that line? Do you ever try to figure out how much you can gray that black and white where that line is? Do you ever figure out how close you can get, how much you can get away with? without actually sinning. I mean, what a silly game that we play. In doing this, it makes God look small. It makes us, it makes us look like we're trying to say, hey God, you're not capable of, of uh, taking care, of, like I'm making you look small in this, in this moment because I think I'm gonna get away with it. It also makes Christ's sacrifice for us, his death, his death for us, it makes it look insignificant. It makes it look unimportant. Like, is it so unimportant to us to live the way that God wants that we would try and get away with as much as we can, that we would try and do as much as we can enjoy without upsetting God? And if we do this, then we're just as guilty as the Pharisees. Next question, do you believe that there's a ritual that makes you right with God while removing your responsibility to make things right with other people? Do you believe that there's something you can do, something you've been taught that that will clean your conscience with God, that will make you right with God, but completely just lets you off the hook when it comes to making things right with people. The truth is that there is nothing we can do that lets us off the hook of making things right with other people while completely ignoring Jesus' teaching. And imagine how this makes us look to non-Christians. Imagine how this makes us look to people outside of our faith, that we would try and and find loopholes. We would try and find ways to to treat other people poorly while, while making ourselves right with God. Here's another one. Do you feel more guilty about missing church than you do about mistreating someone at home or at work or at school? I mean, do you feel more guilty about missing a church or other sort of religious gathering, somewhere where you're meeting with God? Maybe uh, you spend time every day uh, reading the Bible and praying and, and spending that time with God, and maybe you feel more guilty sometimes about missing that than you do about the way that you treated somebody earlier that day or the, the day before. Maybe that's where you're at. Do you feel more guilty about that? Is it possible that, that we found ourselves in a place where we think God can be happy with us regardless of the way that we are treating people outside of those times that we're meeting with him. If so, then what we're doing is we are elevating a human tradition. We're elevating the thing that we are doing to try and be right over scripture and over the teaching of Jesus. And the last question I want to ask you is this. Are you banking on the myth that God has short-term memory loss? Now, see, I had heard growing up, I wasn't necessarily taught this, but maybe you heard this as well. I I had heard that when God forgives, God forgets. That when you, when you, uh, Confess your sin to God that he will, he will forgive you and that he will forget it. And so we think that when we've done that, that all of a sudden, well, we don't need to go, we don't need to live right with people. When in fact, we do need to live right with people. And God's grace is there. God's forgiveness is there. He absolutely, completely, 100% forgives you. He absolutely, 100% gives you grace. But the, the response to that, the natural response to that should be, in light of what God has done for me, I'm going to go and do that for other people. I'm going to try and treat people the way that God has treated me. I'm going to try and make things right with them. But we love this because we think that in, in, in confessing and having God forgive us, that all of a sudden he's forgotten, and now we don't need to live right with other people around us. 
But if that's true, if God does completely forget, then aren't there things in the Bible that we probably shouldn't talk about, things that are actually written down that God no longer remembers? I mean, at that point, we probably don't want to talk about Aaron and the Israelites at the foot of a mountain that built the golden cat. Well, I don't want to talk about it because God may have forgotten it at this point. You know? But today, this is an invite for us to be done with making God look small, to be done with, with acting like we can get away with things and God doesn't care. It's an invite to, to stop looking foolish in our lives. It's an invite to make a decision to follow the way of Jesus, to do away with our own games, to do away with our own rules, our own man-made traditions, and actually follow the way of Jesus, to actually follow this new kingdom that Jesus brought. And that kingdom was a kingdom of conscience, a kingdom of the heart, a kingdom of the mind, and it was informed by one law, that is the law of Christ. And the law of Christ was not 10 laws or 100 laws. It wasn't even three laws. It was just one. And that law was to love other people as God through Christ has loved you. It's an invite to treat other people, to live your life, to the way you spend your money, the way that you invest in your marriage, the way that you raise your kids, to live all of those things in every moment of every day, to love others as God through Christ has loved you. And here's what's crazy about this. There's no workaround. There's no loophole. There's no way to get out of loving others as, as God through Christ has loved you. But see, this is a better way to live. This is better than the Old Testament covenant. This is better than the Old Testament laws. This is better. Why? Because it's also more difficult. It's more difficult to get up every single day and go, today I, I want to ask the question, I want to live my life in every interaction that I have, I want to ask the question, what does love require of me? This is difficult. This is not easy to ask that question with every person that we come in contact with in our lives. What if we decided when, we, when we've hurt somebody, when we've done damage to somebody, and uh, whether that's intentionally or unintentionally, when we've done that, what if we decided that we were no longer going to make excuses for it? And what if we decided we were going to start making apologies? What if we decided we we're going to start making things right with people? So today, if you're guilty of playing this game, if you're guilty of creating your own traditions that, that lets you off the hook when it comes to, to living in a right way and loving people, as should be the natural response to God loving us. Would you be willing to be done with that game today? Would you be willing today to surrender your way, to surrender what you want to the way of God? Would you be willing to follow the way of Jesus? Because there's a new way that is here. You see, the kingdom, the time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. So repent and believe the good news. Would you be willing today to turn, to turn and to face and embrace this new way of Jesus? Because Jesus came and he, he took something that was very complex, a very complex religious system, and he reduced it down to one simple thing. Love other people as you have been loved. And when you will do that, you are never far from God because his love is never far from you. Let's pray together. God, I pray today that you would just remind me, remind all of us, convict all of us in when we have chosen to do things our way, when we've chosen to live in a way that contradicts yours, when we've chosen to, uh, to mistreat people and not make it right. I pray that you would help us to figure out how to love people the way that you have loved us and not make your sacrifice for us what you did for us uh, inconsequential, unimportant. I pray that instead we would, we would value what you've done for us in, in valuing other people. I pray that you would help us instead to build our lives 
upon this firm foundation that is your love for us and for the other people around us that you've created and that you loved. Teach us that this week to love others. And when we uh, go astray, help us to not make excuses, but to make apologies. Help us in that this week. We love you, Jesus. Pray it on your name. Amen.